This was my favorite part of the episode. I like when uh, they die. Yeah, when everyone dies. Good. Yeah, I did. It was insane to watch Captain Pike eat every single one of his bridge crew. I just can't believe that Pike's been a Gorn the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Today I'm drinking from a limited edition Yeti tumbler with the Drake patch on it. Little Drake patch For all your Vietnam Captain Merch, please visit VietnamCaptainMerch.com <laughs> backslash Backslash, it's not a real website. Backslash, we don't like Ortega. (laughs) (laughs) Risk. Risk is our business. Okay, welcome back to another Re-Trek review where we cover an episode of Star Trek. And specifically this week, we are covering episode four, season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds entitled Memento Mori, which for me, all I think about is the Unis Honest thing with Mark Blair. Oh, what? <laughs> Memento Mori. <laughs> that's all I thought about. Every, every, I didn't when I first saw the episode, and then now it's all I, it's all I think about. Yeah. Because that's what they would say, Memento Mori. Moan is a dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, this episode first aired May 26, 2022. It was written by Davy Perez and Bo DeMeo. And directed by Dan Leo. Let's read the synopsis. It says, while on a routine supply mission to a colony planet, the USS Enterprise comes under an attack from an unknown benevolent force. Pike brings all his heart and experience to bear in facing the crisis. But the security officer warns him that the enemy cannot be dealt with by conventional Starfleet means. So that's the synopsis. Before we get into breaking it down, play by play, let's hear what Caleb thought of the episode. It was pretty good, actually. It was. It was actually. It was more of a um, like exciting, like episode. You know what I mean? I feel like it wasn't slow. Not you know what's know. been interesting too is that um, these episodes start, and I'm so used to like the intro playing like before or having like a short intro. Oh. So, like, you see the Delta, like we talked about last week, you see the Delta yeah. come up, and it does that, like, <laughs> you know, that, like, old yeah. school, like, I love it. But then the episode starts, and you're just watching it, and you're watching it, and watching it, and watching it, and then 
So it goes a long way. This this episode goes yeah. a long, a long way until they finally like first attacked, and then it like flashes over to like the actual intro, <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, like we're only at the intro of the show. This is this isn't good. Yeah, like a lot happens before the intro to like set so, it up. The thing that I have failed to say to you every single time, yeah, since the Children of the Comet episode, mm-hmm. is the Delta, the Delta opening. Yeah, did you see or have you seen in the background of only like one or two shots is the comet like flying through space? Oh, yeah, yeah, vaguely, yeah, vaguely, yeah. So, in one of the shots. It literally, it's like, nah, 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 and you'll see it. It's like this this thing is like floating in mm. space and stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's always like a little, with the new Star Trek stuff, there's like a new, there's always like a little hidden thing like oh. off in the background. That's that interesting. relates to the series. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, there's two things. There's, I think in that, that intro stinger and then the actual intro, they very much do like a modern version of the song, but then they also add like that, that old school, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scene, and I really, really, really enjoy it. Yeah. I have like just the instrumental thing on my phone where it doesn't have Anson Mount doing the voiceover. Mm-hmm. And like when he's talking, you don't really hear the music as much, but without it, you could hear that it's, it's very similar to uh, the original Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice, it's a nice thing having them do a cool uh, callback to the original track. I also really like, honestly, because we didn't talk about it, is yeah. I really like at the end when they're showing the title, the title of the show. It does that like nineteen fifties, sixties, like oh yeah, like, like at the sci-fi. end, like, yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, it's pretty good. But even like Pike's, like um, you know, his voiceover is is pretty great. Yeah, that's the thing I'm coming to 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 realize too is like I really enjoy Pike a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love his like um, he has such like a he has such like a interesting like way like yeah. about him. Yeah, he's not like over the top. He's you know, I don't know how to describe it, but you know, there's that scene where that ship calls for help, right? And he mm-hmm. he answers, and and he literally just looks at them, and he just says, you know, all right, hold on, <laughs> like that's all he says. Like he's yeah. like very like, got it, direct, and gonna like, take care right, of it. Yeah. Like, no need for like a long, long discussion about it. Right, either. right, yeah. And he's, but he's quick. He's quick at making decisions, which you see in this episode that, you know, he regrets them after, but like in the moment, he is all his business. Yeah. I agree. All right. Well, then what we'll easily do is get right into it. So we start with security officers log, stardate 3177.3. The Enterprise is currently en route to deliver an atmospheric processor upgrade to Finibus 3. Without our assistance, the air on this remote colony will become unbreathable in a matter of weeks. 
As we prepare for our arrival, we pause to honor Starfleet Remembrance Day. Okay. I looked for those. I went, like, as soon as the episode was over yesterday, I went to Thingiverse and I looked for those badges. Oh, oh, no. Nobody cares about that. No, nobody likes it. Another fun thing where you'll never see this again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Also, they don't say when Starfleet Remembrance Day is, so it's not even like we as fans could be no. like, oh, it's it's whatever. <laughs> it's <laughs> May 22nd. That's Starfleet Remembrance Day. Like, how oh, you don't get to know that? No, nah, it doesn't matter. Some guy spent, you know, weeks making yeah, weeks. pins for everybody. Yeah, I don't care. So what happened at uh, Puget Sound? That's the, her ship that got overtaken by the Gorn. Oh. Yeah. Oh. When she's talking about when she's on the scene and she's like in the bramble with the blood and her brother and it's like they're hunting us and she's like, we're put on a breeding planet. It's They were taken from the Puget Sound. Oh, the ship. Okay. Did not know that makes sense. Yeah. It was something that she mentioned earlier, and like in the se- in the season. Yeah, I don't always understand what she's saying. <laughs> Plus, I watch it with subtitles now. Oh, just to catch some things. So, in in the episode, it's hard to see, so you'd have to like literally pause and then like yeah. zoom into computer enhanced, right? <laughs> but um, I think Pike. Pike is wearing a USS Discovery pin oh. from the show. And then the nurse with the nurse in the sick bay with like she kind of works with Chapel a couple scenes. She's wearing a USS Excalibur, and that's from an episode of the original Star Trek. That's like a ship in that show. That's cool. And then Nurse Chapel is wearing one from the USS Farragut. Which you'll understand later why that's important. And then the USS Shenzo transporter guy, Kyle, is like, he wears that, which that's for a ship from Discovery. It's actually the first ship you see when the show, when Discovery starts. It's like the very first ship of that new series. So the day is supposed to be a remembrance of Puget Sound, but they all wear different ships that have been destroyed. Correct. No, 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 no. It's not a remembrance of Puget Sound. It's just Starfleet Remembrance Day of people they have lost, and their pins represent the ships mm. that they're honoring. Oh, okay. So Pike specifically is remembering Puget Discovery. Yeah. Oh, is it Discovery? Yeah, he's just on his is Discovery. Hers is SS Puget. Oh. Sound. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, I didn't. I I didn't pick up on the fact that they were different. Well, yeah, because you don't. They don't ever zoom into them. So the so <laughs> she's looking at the one in her room that says Pug- Puget on it. Correct. Okay, so I just assumed they were all the same pins. Gotcha. No. Now I'm with him. Yeah. Which what? is why Una makes like a. Oh, you're not wearing your specific pin. Um, and she's like, oh, I hate that pin. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. So even more so, like I guess I do agree with her then, because even more so, is it a thing to like specifically like mark her as like a victim yet again right right exactly all right i'll let it slide then so it says in her quarters lon looks down at a pin commemorating the loss of the ss puget sound 
the colony ship she had grown up on. Throughout the ship, the other members of the crew are wearing similar pins, including Captain Pike, who addresses the entire ship. Many of them knew someone who had made the ultimate sacrifice, officers, scientists, and civilians who had given their lives for the hope of galactic peace. Exploration could exact a heavy toll, and there was nothing more devastating to a captain than losing a member of the crew. For those left behind, they would wear the insignia of past ships they had served on. As we honor the lives that we have been given, let us also be grateful to be still on the journey, he concludes. So it's ships that they specifically have served on, and Mm. they're remembering those people. Gotcha. Anybody who has died from the ship or, you know, what, what, anything like that. Yeah. So is that a thing like for sure? Like discovery is gone. Yes. Like just gone. Should be. Okay. There's only one season left and who knows what Star Trek strange new world is going to do, but there's only one season left. So I don't know what that season is going to do for discovery. I don't know what they're going to, I don't know if they're going to keep them in the future. I don't know if they're bringing them back. I I don't know what they're doing. Was that an actual like storytelling device, or was that because like the show wasn't doing so well? I I honestly don't know, but it really feels like they were getting so much flack that they decided to. Because it sounds like Discovery was getting really low views, and then they brought in Pike, and everyone was like, "Oh, that's pretty sweet." They brought in Pike, and right. like then they just ran with. They said, "Let's get to give Pike his own show." So, yeah, so. It's a thing where Alex Kurtzman yeah. is the Kathleen Kennedy of Star Trek. Perfect. And then you have Say no uh, more. You have the Dave Filoni of Star Trek is this guy called Terry Metalis. Yeah. So Kurtzman has his buddies, just like Kennedy does. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, we want this series, we want Discovery. And we want this, and we want this, and we want this. They want all and everything Star Trek on air at once. Right. And they put all these shows out, and everyone was like, it's not Star Trek, it's not Star Trek, it's not Star Trek, it's not Star Trek. Nobody, but there were people who liked it who didn't really know Star Trek super well, and were just getting into like a sci-fi show, and they liked it, and that's fine, What that's okay. But the people who understood Star Trek, like Star Trek, follow Star Trek, were like, no. It's, this isn't this isn't this isn't anything. This is nothing like Star Trek. And yeah. all they got was hate and hate and hate and hate and hate. And eventually other showrunners came in and were like, okay, we're gonna do certain things. And then now the fans, the the other side of the spectrum fans are like, oh, okay, we'll come back and watch your stuff. So Pike shows up in season two to to be the acting captain of the discovery he -hmm. came on ethan peck showed up and and uh rebecca romaine showed up as members of enterprise yeah and the fans went bananas they were like oh so you're gonna give us an enterprise pike spock number one show and they were like "Mm, right they were like (laughs) uh no how about season three of discovery and everybody's like yeah we don't care about season three of discovery where's the pike show and he and so eventually they they did what they did and it's getting everyone loves it and the same thing happened during 
season three of Picard. Season three of uh-huh. Picard is happening. Yeah. Everyone loves it. They can't yeah. get enough of it. It is literally like, what do you call those? Like premiere, premiere week or per, something of mm-hmm. the, fin- the series finale. And Alex Kurtzman, because he's like, what's her name? Uh, Kennedy mm-hmm. is like, oh, hey, I know this week is the series finale of Picard. That's been amazing. And you fans have loved and can't get enough of. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about two other shows that are just in the works that have nothing to do with Picard. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. and he, when he, he made the announcement and it was so funny to see him on like the, whatever they call those, like the red carpet things. Yeah. So he makes like his announcement on Tuesday and like Wednesday, Thursday is the, is the premiere of the show. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you can see him. He's ready to talk about the section 31 movie and star trek starfleet academy the new thing we're, we're doing a live action lower decks right and all these things <laughs> oh no he's not gonna talk about lower decks because everyone likes that uh, yeah everybody likes it so he's no, gonna keep I mean, talking like, about you know, discovery i mean like if he's going the disney route he's gonna do a live action version of it and it's gonna be terrible yeah so okay so he, he's talking about it and then they're like okay and like yeah so when is this um uh, make-believe show that, that you're not talking about coming out called Star Trek Legacy, which no one's calling, just the fans are calling that. And he's like, oh, well, you know, we're in discussions. And then he talks about the shows that he just announced. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, do you think you're going to get these people to be on the show that isn't announced? And he, you could just see him on the thing, like he hates it. Yeah. But the reality is no one, no one cares. No one cares. Like the majority, like 90% of people do not care about what he is trying to push. Yeah. They just want stuff that's good. So they're pushing for more Strange New Worlds, more Lower Decks, um, more, you know, more stuff that happens in, in Star Trek Picard. Like, they, that's what they want. They don't care about Discovery. They, nobody cares about Nobody it. cares about it. Yeah, I know. And um, even just recently in the news, they, they canceled Star Trek Prodigy, which was the Nickelodeon animated show. They, they canceled mm. it. And everybody's like, why? It was super popular and everybody liked it. And it's just like, eh. Why Why do these guys end up getting in charge of these major franchises that, like, don't care about the media? They don't care about, like, what the fans think and they want to make whatever they want to make. Like, I just don't get that. I don't get it either. I really honestly don't. It's like, what? nobody, you know, they always say, like, nobody wants to put out bad content. No, like, no. Sometimes you feel like they do because, like, you know what the fans want. You know what they're enjoying. But you say... No, nah, I don't. I don't like. I don't like making that stuff. I'm not. I'm not making that stuff. Yeah. Why? I don't know. It's just. The, it's the same thing that's happening as people are pushing for Terry Metalis to be the showrunner, just like they're pushing for Dave Filoni and like John Favreau to be like the heads of Lucasfilm and all. Yeah. That stuff. No, I know they definitely should. They definitely should. It's like because they get it, and it's like yeah, of course they have their own agenda and they have their own likes and dislikes about Star well, Wars. Well, Dave. But Dave Filoni, I mean, he <laughs> Dave Filoni loves, I mean, he loves that media. He loves that stuff. And he even loves the prequels. I mean, you right. know, and he almost makes me like the prequels, you know, the way he talks. Almost. About he makes some good arguments. Yeah. But um, John Favreau, I mean, yeah. there's a guy like if he came in and said like, hey, look, I really like this. Like, why would you not listen to him? All you have to do. And we talk about every, you know, it's the first time we're talking about it on your show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, on Marshall, we talk about. Them. Yeah, but all you have to do is watch 
or or remember Iron Man one, yeah, to end game. That's it. Yeah, and you say, yeah, I want this guy on my team. I want this guy directing my stuff. Why yeah. would you not? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's a pretty great track record. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. It's frustrating. It is. There's always one person. There's always one person. Always one person. Project, and they just do not understand. They just don't get it. You know. You'll They're you'll appreciate scared. this, and I doubt these these words will ever reach their ears. But there's two guys that I watch, and uh, the guys' names are Mike and Rich. And uh, they watched all of Picard, and every season they watched, they hated it because they're huge mm-hmm. Next Generation fans. So That's then they so watched disappointing. The, they watched the third one, and they're like, "Okay." But the funny thing that they say in all of the times that something stupid happens in the show, they're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, there's the smudgy little dirty fingers of Alex Kurtzman." that's what they call it and it's really funny because every time it's like oh why why would the character ever do that it's like oh because alex kersman wants them to do that like oh okay like yeah Uh uh-huh it's it's tough it's like it's i don't want to sit and rag on the thing like the whole thing but at the same time it's just like why is other star trek media that has nothing is doing better than what he's trying to promote it's like because somebody took their time to yeah Make it Star Trek. So. Somebody actually understands what it is as a franchise. Right. That's weird. Yeah. That's okay. It's going to be you and I going like, I am going to edit it. So it says, I love Discovery and Alex Kurtzman. <laughs> hey, guys. Um, Just want to put on an apology video. Um, we said a couple things about Alex. Yeah, and, you're right. Uh, exactly. We want to take those things back. We- He's got two new shows coming out, and they, I mean, they look really good. They look really good. I'll tell you this. I'll do, I'll, I'll say what Andrew has said to me, because I think it's, uh, I think it's the best, the best thing to say about any, anybody, is yeah. I don't hate Alex Kersman personally. Yeah. I hate him professionally. <laughs> professionally. <laughs> wow, that's good. Yeah. So. Walking through the ship, Hammer quizzes Uhura about the essential purpose of the AP-350 device. Mm-hmm. Her reply simply, it was an air filter, earning a contemptuous reply from the chief engineer about how cadets never read the assignment material in advance. Uhura proves him wrong by stating it has been invented by Zigwell Organ in 2234 and first used after the Crest Brock mining collapse on Titan and that it used charged positron rods to stabilize the ion matrix, which then filtered the air. Hemmer gives her points for that, remarking on how most cadets labored through their rotation to engineering while dreaming of command. Ahura, however, is enjoying the work, saying that linguistics and engineering were very similar, and that they were dependent on how seemingly unrelated systems communicated. Hemmer is not impressed, saying that if she truly wanted to impress him, she would do a lot better than theorize. Challenge accepted is Uhura's answer. That was cool. Yeah, Hemmer's Hemmer's funny with her. Yeah. I love Hemmer, yeah. But it's cool seeing like Uhura do other stuff on the ship too, like oh, actually yeah. learning about the ship. Yeah, honestly, um, I think it helps the show because it's like, well, if she is a cadet and she's supposed to be on like, wait, what did you call it? Um, like work experience. 
Yeah. It's like, well, why wouldn't she do multiple, multiple things on the ship? She's like, like a she's like a journeyman almost. Uh, right. It's not like, oh, well, we know that she's the communications officer on Kirk's Enterprise. So we're just going to mm-hmm. that's all she does instead of that thing. You know, it's funny, though, because every time I see her doing like cool stuff, like in this episode, she's yeah. like fixes the warp course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, when she gets older, she just. She just doesn't care about anything. No, she gets like. So like just mundane with the ship. She just sits in her yeah. chair. <laughs> she gets real surprised and shocked and doesn't know how to do anything. It's so weird. It's weird. It's almost <laughs> like <laughs> it's almost like she wasn't written like that. Not the same person. <laughs> weird. How strange. <laughs> How strange new worlds. Oh no. Lan arrives on the bridge where Una notes she is not wearing her commemoration pin. Lan waves it off as no big deal and that the past was the past. Una thinks closure has its reasons and Starfleet has resources, but Lan cuts her off, saying she was not going to allow a doctor inside her head to try and fix her. She was not broken. She was fine. As she takes her station, Ortega's reports from the helm that they were in orbit. Pike wonders where the welcome wagon is. And Christina at Communications reports no signals from the surface, with the colony logs indicating the last transmission being two days earlier. Spock speculates the nearby brown dwarf might be disrupting communications, but soon finds the true cause. The colony's communications satellite has been destroyed. Pike asks if it was accidental, but Spock is unable to say... Uh, The captain orders him to report it to Starfleet while telling the crew that protocol dictated they investigate on the ground and make no assumptions until they gathered intelligence. Una goes to prep a landing party and orders Lan to join her. It was just like a continuation of last week when we were talking about like Mm. Lan's personality. Oh, yeah. Like right off the bat, she's all, oh, I don't need no psychiatrist in my head. It's like, I always love that too when people are like, oh, I, I'm totally fine. It's no big deal. Like, I don't even care about it. It was like, but you're not wearing the pin. So that kind of shows that it is a big deal. You yeah. Know? yeah. You making it not a big deal shows just how much of an issue. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, yeah. hey, maybe if you don't want people asking you about it, why don't you just, why don't you just wear the pin and just fake it? I don't know. I think the the weird thing is is why she sometimes is so grating is because like they write her so well to be actually like a person who has trauma and who is just trying to put on a brave face. Yeah. And so it's like chafing because to us we're like, no, just just deal with it. Like take a second and deal with it. That's true. But um, people don't do that. People don't actually do that. No. So it's 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 a hard balance because she's a she's a rough character. She's got a lot of hard mm-hmm. edges. Yeah. But. I think I think honestly, it's they're writing her good. But that's usually why you don't write characters realistic yeah. in that way because it it is annoying to watch. Right, it gets old quick, you know. Yep, because sadly, that's how everybody else reacts to people who have had traumatic experiences. Yeah, like, I mean, move it's, on. It's sad and it's it sucks, <laughs> but like that's how it is. Yep, it certainly is like that. Okay, beaming to the surface, the colony is deserted. Uh, there were supposed to be several hundred people there. Ensign Todd can detect no light human life signs. Una wonders if it was a rushed evacuation. 
and Lon recognizes blast marks, meaning if they did rush, they did so while under fire. Una spreads the team out, leading one half. The, the other sees a room with cracked glass, only to be given a slight jump scare by a barking dog. Lon then finds something and calls Una and the others over. It was the site of a massacre, not an evacuation, with blood trails showing the victims being dragged to that location. But there was no sign of their bodies. Yeah. And she yells at that dude for, for laughing at the dog. At the dog, yeah. yeah. And not funny. He's a dog. Shut your mouth. <laughs> no, but, uh, so here's something yeah. that always... Not to like rag on this episode like the whole time, but I'm sure, not. Sure. I'm, I'm really that's not. Okay. No, that's okay. So here's something that always irritates me in any like form of like media or like you know scary stuff. Yeah, they show up on this planet, no no signs of of humans, no you know no life right. forms, and uh, you get to this thing and it's just like blood everywhere and blaster marks everywhere, and they're like sneaking around. Right, she goes to that little clearing. And yeah. what's the first thing she does? She oh yells, yells out, yells out to the entire squad. You yeah. guys, the stuff over here, come over here. It's like wow, well there goes your, there goes yeah. your stealth, there goes yeah. your. <laughs> wow, twenty five like, seconds earlier, Una's doing like hand motions to tell people how to move, like quietly. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, no, but that doesn't, it doesn't. It is a trope that they do a lot in things. It's very irritating to me, like Jurassic Park. Like, guys, I think we made it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> dinosaur comes and eats them. Yeah, but I, you know, I say that in like in all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, I know. In orbit, the Enterprise detects an unidentified ship. Pike informs the landing party and has them beamed back aboard. Ortega sees it has no Federation badges and that its shields were up. While Spock detects multiple life forms, he was un- unable to identify. Pike orders hailing frequencies on all channels, but Christina reports no response. Just as Pike orders yellow alert and shields raised, Christina reports they were being hailed. The channel opens to reveal a bloodied but otherwise unharmed human woman who identifies herself as Professor Thandy who is glad to see it was a Starfleet ship, apologizing for not answering earlier, as they needed to be sure. Most of the people on board their ship were injured, and life support was overextended. In addition, it it was a cargo ship used to transport radioactive ore, so their hull was resistant to transporters. Pike orders Suniga at the security station to prepare a deep space transport tube and asked Thandy what happened. The professor explains that a blast from the sky took out the main colony structure, and they all heard a loud ringing sound, but it was a blur after that. Pike glances at Spock, who reports no sign of any other ship or residual warp signatures. Pike reassures Thandy that everything would be all right. When you first saw this episode, did you think that these guys were, like, bad? Yes. Me too. It was like way too coincidental. You know what it is, and especially especially when they're when Pike's like, "Okay, we're, we'll we'll save you." And she's like, "Wait a second, you can't beam on board because it's got radioactive, so yeah. we're gonna have to dock to your ship." Yeah, like, right it's off the bat, you're like, "No, that's blow them up." <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a thing. It's a combination of them doing the thing where they're like, uh, yeah, we can't be, we can't make this easy. It's going to be something weird. And you're like, okay, that's already like a, like a, uh oh. Yeah. But two is, um, I honestly think it's 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 Anson Mounds acting. Mm. He's like so suspicious acting, where he's like, yeah, yeah. So what happened on your ship? And she's like, oh, it was terrible and it was awful and everyone in terror and we don't know. And he's like, okay, yeah, we'll get well, you on the Enterprise. Not to mention, like the viewer, you've already seen like what happened on the planet, right? And now you have these people out in space, and they're like no idea what happened yeah You're like what do you mean how do you have no idea what happened if you got to your ship you saw something you know and then not even until they get on board when she's like i was still like you know until she says the line she goes yeah we like we're all passed out and we woke up and there was just blood everywhere and we all like evacuated the planet just to see what was going on like then you're like oh okay that makes more sense yeah 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 because if she didn't even talk about like people being dead on the planet like yeah, right I right about, i don't know about this <laughs> no nobody's dead i don't know let me on your ship nobody died just let me on <laughs> the enterprise deploys the transport tube connecting to the cargo vessel and brings the survivors on board for examination in sickbay sandy expresses gratitude for the rescue and Una tells her that they were still trying to figure out who attacked them, asking if anyone saw anything. The professor recalls a farmer saw streaks in the sky like rain on fire. There were about a hundred survivors on notes asking what happened to the rest of them. Sandy does not know, only waking up to find everyone gone, no bodies, just blood. As the professor joins the others heading to sickbay, Una and Lon reveal what they know. The ringing could have been caused by an ultrasonic cannon, while the rain on fire could have been suborbital plasma bombardment. Suddenly, a young girl named Fig runs through the corridor, screaming that the monsters are coming. Her mother tries to assure her monsters aren't real, but Laan asks what monsters she is afraid of. Fig says the monsters took her father, and that she didn't see them, but she heard them making a strange clicking sound. Lon is very familiar with that sound as she calls to the bridge to scan for polarized EM signatures. Spock runs a scan and detects a faint optical distortion near the second moon, a hologram. Lon shouts for shields to be raised, and Pike orders red alert. But Ortegas points out they can't raise the shields when the transport tube is still attached. Inside the tube, Lon looks outside one of the viewports to seeing a ship approaching them and realizes the colony's attackers are the Gorn. As Una pulls Lon away, the Gorn hunter opens fire, destroying the cargo ship and the transport tube. Yeah. that's That was pretty sweet, honestly. Yeah. That, I like that, that whole, like, freezes. Yeah. When she looks out there and she sees that it's the Gorn, and then they blow up the thing, and you're like, oh, okay, so we're starting this episode with, like, heavy damage to the ship. That's yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't get any better. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Okay, so briefly seeing an image of her brother Manu in her mind's eye, Laan regains consciousness as Nurse Chapel runs scans over her, then tells her to sit tight. Several members of the crew have been seriously injured, and Laan is distressed to see Fig's mother laying in the corridor. Una, leaning against the wall, somberly tells her the woman didn't make it. 
Lon asks about the girl, but the first officer can only shake her head. She doesn't know. Lon sees Una is bleeding, but Una assures her she will be fine. Seeing the Gorn ship, Lon had locked up, but Una had reported the situation to the captain and tells her to report to the bridge. If she was right, they would need her up there. She did. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of rough to be like, yeah, they're probably all dead. You're like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The cool thing about this episode, too, is that you get to see like actual sections of the ship. Sometimes you think about like med bay and cargo stuff all being like inside, but you forget that a lot of like areas of the ship are have like outside walls. Oh, yeah. So seeing, you know, like I later on, when you see like damage or like metal buckling. Right. Like, oh, yeah. They're like spaces literally like outside this wall. Right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> That's not good. It'd be pretty scary to be honest. I don't yeah. I, as much as I like Star Trek, I don't I I don't think I'd ever be okay with just being like standing and looking at like a, a glass window or whatever it is, like thick. And then just like looking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no thanks. No. Pike calls down to Hemmer that warp drive is offline. Hemmer is in the main cargo bay attempting to secure the processor as it was unsafe while under fire. Pike orders him to work fast so he can restore warp power. Suniga reports no response to Hales. Pike asks Ortegas how fast they could go at impulse. With damage to the starboard nacelles, she reports half speed. He orders an evasive pattern just as Lan enters, saying that they had to retreat as they could not fight them. She emphasizes that it was the Gorn, setting them up to be vulnerable. The surviving colonists had been bait. The Enterprise was too damaged to stand and fight now, so they had to regroup and level the playing field. She again sees Manu standing near the console across the bridge. Then, a second later, he is gone. She pleads with Captain Pike to trust her. Pike recalls the brown dwarf Spock detected earlier and asks how far away it was. Spock detects it being only 200 million kilometers away, but it was also tethered around a black hole. Ortegas wordly asks how big a black hole, to which Pike tells her to focus on one problem at a time. Spock lays out the bottom line. The brown dwarf's central mass would crush the ship, but surrounding it was a volatile gas cloud. Uh, if they were to hide inside it, they would have to reduce all electrical output, the sensors, the communications, and most importantly, the shields. Pike knows if they had to, so would any pursuer. He returns to Lon, who is acting number one again, and asks if she concurs. Without hesitation, she does. Pike orders full impulse to Spock's mark. The Gorn ship continues to fire on them as they maneuver into the cloud, and Spock reports that sickbay and its cargo stores just took a direct hit, as did the main cargo bay. That's what I like about Pike, though, is he's like, uh, yeah, that would crush the ship if we went too far in there. And they're all like, yeah, that would be bad. And he's like, that would be perfect. <laughs> yeah. Actually, full speed ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to crush the ship. <laughs> I care less about the ship. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. It's a uh, yeah. We'll, we'll, as we get farther into it, I'll 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 tell you something. 
Is it because even because like last week when um no actually it was two weeks ago wow the one where he's they he makes them fly into the comet like knowing that mm-hmm. they won't like shoot at the comet yeah 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 it's like he's always kind of thinking like we like outside the box you know yeah well I, you know maybe maybe it's a thing where they write to him because he's constantly thinking of things that you would maybe go against yeah. Which is like you go back to the cage and he's yeah. like, and you will become the perfect. And, he, and he's going like this. I'm going to choking. I'm choking you and I'm killing you. And then he's like, and he's because he's figuring out that they can't do it. But it's also the thing you wouldn't do. Right. As a Starfleet officer, you wouldn't think about murdering this person violently. So it's like, I think maybe the writers are trying to like show that Pike always thinks the, like he thinks in a yeah. certain way that you may a normal person may not think like that it's true yeah i like that inside the cargo bay uhura regains consciousness and calls out for hammer the chief engineer's right arm is crushed under a cargo ba- a cargo container and he asks her to help get it off she is able to lift it just enough for him to get free he can feel his hand is broken and uhura moves to escort him to sick bay but as they stop, he knowingly asks if the door is blocked, and Uhura confirms it is. Just then, a new alarm begins going off. The coolant systems on the AP-350 are in critical failure. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. No, absolutely not. Inside the conference room, Pike, Laon, Spock, and Ortegas are joined on the screen by Hemmer, Uhura, and Dr. Mbenga. Pike asks how long before the atmospheric processor explodes. Hemmer, while fully aware that the AP-350's explosion would vaporize the entire ship, is confident he has enough time to repair it. With transporters offline, Pike is sending people to clear the way to the cargo bay. Until then, Hemmer reports he will be working on repairs and closes the channel. Pike notices that the temperature has risen, and Pike reports that the ionic gas surrounding the ship is affecting the ship's climate controls. And while other systems are were offline. And Benga adds that this includes sickbay. With no medical systems, um, they had essentially been reduced to triage. They also had nine confirmed casualties. Sickbay supplies had been almost completely destroyed by the attack, and without matter synthesizers, they couldn't make more once they ran out. Una has told him she was fine, but he has not been able to properly check on her as he was still playing catch-up. He had activated all of the backup medical personnel, but what he really needed was supplies. He is then called away by chapel to check on a patient and close the channel as well. I like that they get like... Yeah. Ship-wide. They get those moments to catch their breath and then like, okay, check in with everybody and they're like, yeah, it's bad. It's really yeah, bad. So it all sucks. Everything's bad. This is what I'm waiting for you to do to Adrian on our RPG. Because this this episode, I was like, yeah, I would not want to be a captain. Because like <laughs> this is the stuff like you don't think about. Yeah, I'm trying to mad at you. You're making terrible decisions because Yeah, I, for the for the game, I'm trying to like slowly introduce <laughs> like yeah. Thoughts and ideas and get people used to things. Literally blowing up Starbase 2 was kind of the most like (laughs) 
shifting that I had that I quickly yeah. did to you guys to be like, okay, how are we going to react under a under a pressure situation? Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like, yeah, I don't think we're ready for it in the RPG, but it's just it's fun in this episode because uh, you know they're in the thing and they're kind of undetected, and then you know it calls. It's like every every like choice he says, oh, we'll just do this, and they're like, you can't do that. That's not that's broken. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's how it's gonna be in the game too. They're just yeah. gonna be like, well, can't we do this thing? I'm like, no, that's offline. Offline. And every time she's gonna say, like, okay, well, let's have us go over here. Everybody on the bridge is gonna be like, no, don't do that. Please don't go over there. <laughs> <laughs> Una enters sick bay, but almost immediately collapses to the deck. And Benga points out she had said she was fine and she admits she was mistaken. She had taken several deep puncture wounds from shrapnel, and they couldn't power up the surgical base to remove them. And Benga recalls that Chapel was interested in archaeological medicine and asked how good she was at sewing. Aces is Chapel's reply. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? That's like archaeologists, like yeah, like, <laughs> like sewing. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, you think about it. Like now, where they use like those suture guns type of thing. Yeah. And like sewing this was, you know, probably it's pretty 60, archaic 70 years ago, you know. Yeah, it's cool. So now you look at them and it's like that's like 300 years ago. So it would be very, very archaic. Yeah. Yeah, I like uh, that. Yeah, me too. I, I I like how they there's a I don't know if you remember this in Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, they're trying to blow up the um, the little uh, the fighter pilot things, mm-hmm. and um, they're like, "Oh, we think that we could disrupt them by playing music," and they're like, "Really?" And he's like, "Yeah, turn turn the the stereo like in in broadcast like out out in space of this music," and then mm-hmm. they're playing it, and everything starts blowing up, and they play the uh, Beastie Boys song. Yeah. And so it's it's uh, Spock and McCoy are in the thing and they're flying and he's like and McCoy's like, is that classical music? <laughs> and Spock's like, yes, Captain, I I think it is. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, re- it's just really funny. I like when they do that. I did like that. that. Yeah, that was a good scene. Yeah, in that movie, and I, I love the Beastie Boys blaring. Remind me kind of like anytime like Tony Stark shows up and he's always got like blasting yeah. ACDC. Back in the conference room, Blonde goes over their options. They could not use their phasers. And while Pike asks about the photon torpedoes, uh, which could be self-guided, he, she reports that the torpedo bay had been hit and they were uh, down to only one torpedo. Spock adds the number of torpedoes was inconsequential because if they fired one off in the brown dwarf, it would cause the internal guidance systems to fail and it would not go in the intended direction. Ortegas is incredulous, asking what they did if they had no shields or weapons, and is also dismissive about it being the Gorn, calling them the boogeyman, as no one had ever seen one. Lan, however, has seen the Gorn before, and while they were not supernatural, she did consider them to be monsters. She condemns the Federation's belief that empathizing with enemies would one day make them friends, saying that some things in the universe were simply evil. 
she asks if they have seen ever seen eyes that both are both dead and hungry at the same time, emphasizing that humans were just prey to the Gorn, just walking feed bags. She corrects Ortegas's assumption, saying that plenty of people have seen the Gorn, they just don't live to tell about it. Pike ends the meeting by telling them all to be vigilant and get creative, calling them the best of Starfleet and that they would survive by working together. The thing I like is, as, as when we get to that episode, is like Kirk specifically, in the Kirk episode, there's like very specific lines of dialogue that this show really, really skates with. Yeah. So I like the fact that even though she was irritating that Ortegas is like, well, nobody knows, no one's ever seen these things, and like they're just boogeymen and all this stuff. Because that is how it should be, because no one has seen a Gorn. Yeah. But it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting um, thing, like, that they decided to bring into the show. Yes. You know, like, why why the Gorn, specifically? Why would that be? Um, I don't know. I to me, I feel like they could have gone and just made up their own aliens and made up their own problems. Just like most of Star Trek does. They don't always harken back to content. Yeah, um, I mean, they could have made them Klingons just as easy. I do feel like probably... I do feel like probably what it was is the Gorner, like, kind of made fun of, and they're kind of just like a throwaway character, but everybody likes them. Yeah. And so I think they were like, well, we can make the Gorn cool and and like scary and do all this stuff because they're giant lizard monsters. And that's that's creepy. Yeah, I do like that. But it's a thing where, you know, it's kind of a thing that you got to do after the original series Mm -hmm. because there's just lines in that episode where it's like it just doesn't make any sense with what happens in this episode. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because now you're 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 expecting me to believe that like it's a like they don't they don't talk about it. Right. <laughs> like right. it all happens and they just say, well, let's just keep it let's just keep it to ourselves, essentially. Which is right, like right. it's not really what Starfleet does. No. No. But uh yeah, just, no, I mean I like it. I think it's cool. I think the Gorn Oh yeah, me too. I think they need to be modernized a bit, you know? Absolutely. And like Absolutely. you said, they're not in any other like, no. form of Star Trek. No. You know? As the others leave, Pike asks Lan to stay a moment and asks how she is holding up. Lan says simply that the enemy doesn't care about her feelings, so she doesn't waste her time having any. Pike concedes that that might be true, but it doesn't seem that way to the crew. Lan has made clear that she does not care for what the crew thinks about her. And that she has always been blunt. But Pike points out that right now her job was not just about orders. It was about hope. He considers belief to be the difference between victory and defeat. And if one got a crew to believe in miracles, they might just deliver one. Lan accepts she has to make an adjustment. But makes clear she will not lie to the crew. The best miracles are born from truth, Pike assures her. Since there was not much on the official record pertaining to the Gorn, 
He asks if there was anything she could recall that might help. She stammers that her memories were inhibited by trauma as she again sees Manu standing behind Pike. The captain simply asks her to tell if anything came to mind. No. No. I, I, I like that in any form of media where you see um the character like sees even though it's very like unrealistic because that's mm. not how people no see that kind of stuff. No. But I always love that in media where like you you see somebody who's not there. Mm-hmm. Especially I think it was this scene right where he's like right behind Pike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked I love that stuff. In the cargo bay, Hemmer laments that an engineer's most important tools were his hands and his mind, but he was unable to use the fingers on one hand. Uhura sits him down as the alarms of of the AP-350 continue to blare. She suggests that Hemmer talk her through the process working as a team, but he thinks it was not that simple, as there was data only he could assess. Uhura points out that she was the only one with a working set of fingers. Hemmer is not particularly fond of teamwork, to which Uhura retorts that he should get fond. He (laughs) grudgingly agrees that he has to and tells her to use the control panel to shut down the safety overrides while also adjusting the cooling system. She only uses one set of controls, and he points out that the other hand is used to adjust the cooling system at the same time, warning her not to allow the core temperature to exceed 110 degrees. I think it's really cool that like Hammer has his own way of using the controls on the ship, like mm. double double hand. Yeah. Unless that's a star is that is that a hammer thing or is that a is that how it actually works? Oh, you're saying like having to type in this and type in this at the same yeah. time. No, it's like a it's a thing that um you would just you would have to do but he he's just good at it so he can do it faster okay gotcha i thought maybe it was something he had like specially made because because i don't think so being blind i did wonder that too but i don't think i don't think it was okay well the way she reacts to it makes it seem like it's a whole new like whole like panels don't work like that like she's never seen that but I mean, well, she is a cadet too. So I think it was supposed to be like she's looking at one screen, types in what she wants, and then goes to the other screen and goes to type in what she needs to do. But in that like two seconds that she's cutting between each panel, yeah, it like the alert goes off and is like things are overloading, and she's like, ah, like and then try that does it again, rather than basically you have to like have both hands up punch in this, look over, punch in the other, look at this, punch in the, you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Regardless, it's a cool... Yeah. I like seeing how, like, systems work and how, like, um, data pads and, like, um, control panels work. I know what you mean, yeah. On the bridge, Spock offers an idea to Pike, remembering how he'd challenge them to get creative and brings a tactical projection on screen. Though they had no primary sensors, the navigation systems constantly updated with atmospheric data to maintain stability. Ortegas jokingly protests that she still does most of the work. The ship's movement in the gas cloud created oscillation in the atmosphere, converted into rotational motions by Coriolis forces. 
detected automatically by the NAVCOM. They could track the Gorn ship by making the Coriolis force readings to triangulate their position. Pike recognizes it as essentially turning a compass into radar and orders him to proceed. Sure enough, they detect a signal consistent with the attacking ship, and it was coming right at them. Ortegas anxiously asks if she should make evasive maneuvers, but Pike orders her to hold it steady. As it gets closer, Ortegas is about to spring into action to engage the enemy, but both Pike and Lon tell her to hold steady. The yeah. Gorn ship goes right by. They can't see the Enterprise, but Lon warns that they will not stop hunting. Pike orders Suniga to arm the remaining torpedo. When mm -hmm. Spock points out the guidance would not work, Pike assures him he was not going to fire it. He was going to drop it manually right on top of them. He orders Ortegas to set a pursuit course, quick but quiet. Ortegas brings the ship directly over the Gorn vessel, and Pike orders the torpedo deployed. A slight shaking of the ship heralds the torpedo's detonation, and Pike reports the signal is gone. The Gorn ship has been destroyed. Just then, however, three more signals are detected approaching them, and Pike realizes that this was the Gorn's intention, sacrificing one ship to find their quarry. One of the incoming signals is a Gorn destroyer, much larger than the others. <laughs> what is that big? Why is it bigger on the radar that I look at constantly on this ship? I've never seen anything big on this radar ever. Anyway, yeah, so this whole scene is is in yeah, it's it's good. I like it. I like how um Pike kind of has this idea to just kind of like stay quiet. Yeah, no radars on. So but again, one... like Ortega is super annoying in this scene too, because it's like yeah. she doesn't trust the captain, and she's it's like it's like okay, well, you take your orders from the captain. Like I, it doesn't matter if you're like worried about it or not. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Like you take orders from from Pike, right? And she's like, okay, they're getting closer, and he's like, don't care. <laughs> and then she's like, okay, ready to engage, and he's like, we're not engaging. We're not engaging. What are we going to engage with? We don't have torpedoes. Don't work. We don't. Have... What right. are you talking about? Engage. Yeah. And then it's funny too that he like he looks at Lon, and he almost is like. You you talk to her. He's like, I'm not talking to her. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. But the whole manual dropping the nuke manual or the torpedo manual, that, that was pretty cool. That was cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. The thing that it reminded me of. So the second Spock is like put the turn this thing into like a radar thing. Yeah. Immediately it turns into a submarine episode. Yes. Because it's like Doo, doo. And then it's like, okay, you got to drop the bomb on him and come above him and all this stuff. And like everyone's hot and sweaty. And then when they go deeper, like the Ooh. ship crumples and like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it was cool. It's very submarine, like uh, Hunt for Red October, very things like that. You know, what is what is the Enterprise if not just a submarine in space? In space. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why Enterprise to me was so good it's because it was just like a like a military oh. submarine vessel in space you know what i mean yes, absolutely bulkhead it is one of the, yeah it is one of the beautiful things about that show that it really makes you feel like they're just astronauts in space i love it 
So that's yeah, that's I think that's to me why this episode was so good too, is like you kind of got that feeling again. Yeah, sure. So we're at the special part. This is where if anybody's gotten this far in the into the watching, <laughs> go down to the comment section and write the word compass, and we'll know that you got this far. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't write anything, then we'll know you don't watch it and we'll be sad. Yeah. I'll be very disappointed. With the odds now, three on one, Lon suggests retreat. Spock concurs, but points out that if they uh, leave the the gas cloud, they would be seen, and going closer to the Browndorf center mass would destroy the ship. Pike goes to the for the latter option, telling Ortegas to take them as close as possible to the center mass. Ortegas points out what Spock had just said about the density fields near the center crushing the ship, but Pike knows. What would happen to them would also happen to the Gorn, and that he had faith in the Enterprise. Lon reports that the lower decks would be the first to take damage, and Pike orders all decks below 20 to be evacuated. He didn't like the idea any more than they did, but they had to do it, and orders Ortegas to take them down. I like this episode. Pike is constantly reminded of uh, everything that he's already been reminded of several times. Yeah. Hey, did you know that this guy said that? I think. Hey, remember when Spock said this like five minutes ago? Yeah, I do. I'm saying <laughs> I sit in the captain chair because I make those decisions. Yeah, yeah, but you know, like pressure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, got it. You know what I miss is like, for you know, remember Enterprise? It was always like uh, permission, permission, captain, to speak freely or permission. Yeah. To- <laughs> Now nah, we're done with that. It's 2023, <laughs> baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think maybe what we'll just chalk it up to is if Laan cared more about the crew, that maybe they wouldn't be so, uh, or Tegas would not be so uh, offensive and breaking protocol. It's all Laan's fault. Yeah. <laughs> In sickbay, Mbenga and Chapel are left working with needle and thread to close Una's wounds as the hull begins to noticeably creak from the pressure. It is <laughs> it is also notable in the cargo bay where Hammer continues to guide Uhura in stabilizing the AP-350. Uhura has never heard a ship's hull make that sound before, but yeah. Hammer tells her to keep her focus. Some of the p- positron rods are broken, but without diagnostics, she cannot tell which. Hammer tells her the malfunctioning rods would be cool and tells her to make sure before she pulls any out. She finds out and is ecstatic when she is able to remove it. Before replacing it, she had to reconfigure the host platform, and she appears to be successful, but looks questioningly at the chief engineer when he says they could get started. Yeah, I love that. I love too how he's like, um, yeah, they should be hot. So just use your hand to like feel. And she like immediately puts her hand on the on the coil. I was like, yeah, you don't need to put your hand on the coil. You should be able to feel. But then like, yeah, I love that too. Like she she does all this work, and he's like, all right, so now we can begin because that is, yeah. that's like nothing. That's that doesn't that doesn't yeah. do anything. That was just make it so we don't blow up immediately. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That yeah. literally all you did was just give us five minutes to actually do the repairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
the other thing that, that uh, had me in this episode was uh, when they cut back to the med bay and they show her Una's like stomach. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. open, and I was just like, that's rough looking, dude. Well, even when she first comes in the med bay and she's, you know, she's got her hand over her thing in the hallway, and she comes in and it's just like three giant, looks like pieces of the ship just like went through her. You're like, yeah, it's not good. That's not good. Not good. Yeah. Um, turns out I'm not feeling too well. (laughs) (laughs) Shocker. Turns out I feel much better when my organs are on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. On the bridge, Pike listens to the ominous creaking of the hull, and Spock orders the lower decks have begun to buckle. The evacuations are not complete, but Spock warns if it is not contained, the failure of the hull could end up decompressing the entire ship. Pike reluctantly orders the bulkhead sealed. Chief Kyle tries to help a wounded science officer through, but as the bulkheads begin to close, the other pushes Kyle through just as the hull collapses, leaving Kyle staring in shock at the sealed bulkhead and the fate of the crewman on the other side. Lon reports the reading to Pike, and Spock assures his captain he made the logical choice. It didn't feel that way to Pike, but Spock reminds him that he made the choice because he valued life. The hull collapse has begun to extend, and if it breached the antimatter containment, there wouldn't be a ship left to save. Pike becomes determined, remembering how Lon had told him about the Gorn wanting to make them prisoner and promising a heck of a fight if they planned to take the Enterprise. He calls for battle stations and orders the crew to prepare for close quarters before having Ortegas bring the ship to a full stop. One of the Gorn ships closes in, but as it approaches the Enterprise, it implodes from the atmospheric pressure. Lon had told Pike that the Gorn were relentless hunters, and he used that against them. He asks Lon for a damage report before telling Spock to watch for the other two ships. Pretty cool thing. I like the the rendering of the ship and like crumpling and blowing yeah, up. Yeah, it looked cool. It looked it pretty cool. good. Dude. I also thought the uh the transporter kid was the goner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like please, please. No, please. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah how gonna, get- that's how I'm gonna get rid of people on the game. Pike got pretty lucky that the uh that Gorn ship like imploded like right right that moment. Yeah, true. Like that was obviously his plan. Was that like he, they're gonna keep chasing us until they blow up? Like yeah, he was hopeful, hoping that that's what would end up happening. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty cool. It was cool. In sickbay, Champel attends to some of the other patients who appear to be doing well, all things considered, before returning to Una. One fragment remains in her body, close to her abdominal aorta. Chapel warns her that she will not she will have to be sedated, as she would likely bleed a lot. They had just enough blood plasma, but they have to uh, introduce it intravenously. Una asks if she had a choice, and Abenga tells her she would she could decline and wait for the sickbay systems to come back online, while Chapel adds she could also wait for septic shock, which she describes as giving birth through your mouth. 
Una incredulously asks who talked like that, and Chapel replies that she did. Mbenga just gives her an amused glance as Una asks for the sedation. As the anesthesia is being introduced, one of the backup techs warns Chapel that the other patient needed plasma. Una hears this and tells Chapel to give the, the plasma intended for her. And Benga reminds her they only had one bag left, and she was about to lose a massive amount of blood. But Una makes it in order. Too bad. What are the chances that they've yeah. been in that med bay for hours? And right when right when Uma need, Una needs the uh, the plasma, they're like, "Oh, I need one over here." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too bad, sucker. That's so how you it, that's how you write drama. The way <laughs> the way you know what's funny too is like obviously like um, the medical staff like decided that like they're not gonna use the plasma on the other one, mm. but the way they film that is funny because like. Um, Uma like has her hand on the thing. Oh yeah. And the way they film it is like close in shot. It almost looks like she's like, no, don't give it to me. <laughs> and she like puts it on herself. <laughs> and very much looked like she was like, that's an order. I said don't use it. <laughs> like <laughs> it was like, didn't it? Didn't it seem you're like waiting it? for her to like wink, right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. too late. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> doesn't Man. it not like in that scene? Doesn't it look because she still has her hand on the thing? Yeah. And it almost looks like she just puts it back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it was funny. It was really funny. But turns out they had another, they had another one, they had another plasma. Yeah, I, th- I, I think what we see as they'll talk about it. I think he, I think they Mbenga restored power. Just, no, I think Mbenga just hooks up to her. To her blood, he he's giving he's giving oh. her his blood. Yeah, right, right, right. She has the tube coming out of her arm. I don't. Yeah, I think it's. I think I'll talk about it because yeah, I would assume that's what it was. I didn't really know. It was just like a there was a band around both of their arms in the tube, and it was like seems mm-hmm. like she was getting a blood transfusion. Yeah, so I assumed that's what it was. Yeah. Now they're both ghosts of Illyria. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Captain's log, supplemental. Enterprise is currently in the center of a gas giant, hiding from an enemy we've never faced before. So far, three civilians and seven of my crew have lost their lives. The battle is far from over. But I am determined to keep everyone else alive. My newest obstacle is the presence of a nearby black hole. Spock reports that the atmospheric density was decreasing and the singularity is advancing its accumulation of substellar material. When Lan asks if he ever spoke in plain English, Spock does so, saying that the brown dwarf they were hiding in was being sucked into the black hole. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pike sees the problem. If they stay, they would be taken with it. They could not leave the brown dwarf without being spotted by the Gorn. And they had no long-range communication, so they couldn't even send out a probe. In addition, within one hour, 32 minutes, and 48 seconds, they would not be able to escape the black hole's gravity. Lon suggests sending out a shuttle, small enough to travel undetected and minimizing the risk to the rest of the crew. Pike thinks it's a suicide mission, but Lon believes it was their only shot. 
and volunteers to pilot it. Spock agrees and decides to join her, saying, in plain English, she would need backup. Pike reluctantly gives the go-ahead and tells them to take the Galileo, ordering them to be back within 30 minutes, no matter what. So I don't know it was a thing. I, I probably just misunderstood or didn't realize what was happening. Mm-hmm. Remember that sequence where they're like in the thing and they're looking at the black hole and it's like it's showing like the gas giant is being sucked into the black hole and it's like up on the screen. Yeah. And I kept thinking like, is this just like a computer rendering of what Spock is is calculating? Otherwise, it's like when they go in there and he's like, well, sensors aren't going to work. It's like, well, they shouldn't be able to see any of this right because sensors don't work so i wasn't sure if it was like a, oh. a writing mistake where yeah. they were like well sensors are showing this thing or if spock was just um like giving like a tactical rendering of perhaps what you know like of the situation rather it than might like, yeah that makes more sense and that wouldn't be the first time we've seen that yeah right you know he he did that last a couple weeks ago where, where they're like oh my god the meteors yeah, oh, yeah. It's a simulation. <laughs> yeah. Now I lo- I loved it when that part you said it, I left when I was editing it and you were like, oh yes, that is what could happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very like out of uh out of nowhere. Like, oh my god, it's gone. And that's how we all could feel. <laughs> you don't do anything. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's a what's his name thing, the doctor from Futurama. Like good news, everyone. Yeah, it's like, oh, we could all be dead right now if it. it, uh, Oh no, it's not going to happen. Very good. (laughs) Yeah, I like. um, Yeah, kind of. This is the part of the show where I started to get like more excited. I guess like I liked. uh, I like some of the stuff that happens after this. Okay. Specifically, because I mean it's more of a callback to uh, Enterprise. Mm. Okay. So we'll see what it is, what he has to say. Aboard the Galileo, Spock and Lon observe what appears to be the two remaining Gorn ships scanning each other. Lon, from her experience on the Puget Sound, knows it was not a scan. While her memory is fragmented, she is certain she has seen the lights before. Spock notes the complexity of the mind and how it builds up defenses about being affected by trauma. Lon thinks there was something to it that she could that she should know, a thought Spock finds understandably given the nature of their foe. Lon, aware of what Vulcans could do, suggests a mind meld. Spock reminds her that a meld uh, was not a shortcut for dealing with mental trauma and warns that resurfacing hidden memories could be painful, even dangerous. But if there was something in Lon's memory that could save the Enterprise, She felt she had to take the risk. Spock moves from his seat and kneels in front of her, placing one hand against her face and initiates the meld. Your face to my face. My face to your Your hands to my hands. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know, um, obviously, because like I'm not that far, but I don't know how much like mind melding they do later mm, mm. but for me that's very much a enterprise thing it is a very enterprise thing yeah, yeah. except so that, this time 
you're not getting whatever you're not getting some sort of mentally trans diseased thing that well that's yeah that's been eradicated that was the council trying to keep you down man that's right that's right i think that's my line from archer in the intro right he gets mad if he's at the he's talking to the vulcan council about it and he says we don't we uh we embrace diversity right yeah, I think that's what he's talking about. Yeah. I think he's I think he goes down and tries to talk to them about about her, I think. Then they're like, no, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. We don't like it. They're treating it like it's a STD. Yeah, exactly. Okay. As Lon's memories surface, she finds herself on a Gorn breeding planet where the crew of the Puget Sound had been brought to feed the hatchlings and were hunted day and night. Spock can feel her mind resisting because of Lon's fear. She asks, He asks if she wanted to stop, but Lon refuses, choosing to move forward. The memory of her younger self running through the caverns with her brother, Manu, resurfaces. The younger Lon apologizes, saying she had to she had tried to be quiet, but Manu reassures her. He hands her his journal. He had observed the lights, knowing it was how the Gorn communicated and believes it would help her hide, and tells her to take it and run. Becoming her current self in the memory, Lan pleads with her brother to come with her, but he knows he can't, and he tells her to run. She sees the journal, recognizing that Manu had begun to decipher their language and visual communication. She runs, finding herself back in the central cavern. Spock recognizes it. It was her subconscious setting up a boundary. She explains what she had learned about the lights from her brother's journal. Just then, she hears Spock's voice speaking in Vulcan, followed by another voice saying she loved him as well. Lon can see that he had lost someone as well, a sister. But Starfleet records didn't show him having a sibling. Spock curtly confirms that they did not. Lon realizes his sister had sacrificed herself for him, to which Spock's only answer was that they should end the meld. She sees Manu's face one last time as the meld ends, tears running down her face, and then tells Spock she has an idea. Yeah, She's like, wait a second. Other people have been through bad things as well. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was the only one that had trauma. Are you saying that you also have feelings? Oh, you lost someone that you liked too? (laughs) I do like seeing the mind meld like in person like that. Yeah. Always like that. It's pretty, pretty cool. I was wondering if Spock was going to be strong enough to keep her like out of his mind as well. No. Mm -hmm. But I think that very much like because her whole thing dealt with like her brother sacrificing himself. Yeah. Like he couldn't really control that, you know, it's a thing that I don't, I don't remember enterprise really doing it. Maybe. No, no. Yeah, they do. Um, It's like when what's his name there touches enterprise uh, Archer. Yeah. He does the mind meld to him and then he becomes his like Katra's inside him and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing where, some of the some of the Vulcan person like sort of also inhabits like the other person like when their minds 
merge like they both they kind yeah. of interchange inf- like information and memories and i thought that was more because like that vulcan guy was very specifically like doing that on purpose like giving him his memories yeah yeah it's a it's a more it's more than a mind melt he's literally like transferring his he's basically downloading himself into archer's head yeah i like that that was that was cool seeing that yeah the shuttle takes position near the smaller of the two gorn ships and spock has modulated the shuttle's phasers per laon's instruction she is surprised he agreed to the idea. He replies that it was a good plan, and the meld reminded him of the risks taken and their value to those that survive. She transmits a signal telling them that humans have boarded the smaller ship and taken control, knowing that the Gorn would call the weak, believing in survival of the fittest. Sure enough, the larger ship opens fire, destroying the smaller one and evening the odds. Oh, please! They are taking over the ship! Please! <laughs> we hate those who are we hate it <laughs> yeah back aboard the Enterprise Uhura has finished rebooting the system of the AP350 and sees the hammer starting to fade from the pain and the shock of his injury she tries to keep him talking asking how an, an Anar ended up in Starfleet as she had thought they were all pacifists Hammer admits he wanted to be a botanist but as he had a love for plant, as he had a, as he had a love for plants, he says that he will not fight for Starfleet, but would defend its ideals. To him, pacifism was not passivity, but the active protection of all living things in the natural universe. Uhura sees it as a matter of perspective, comparing it by using touch instead of sight. To which Hemmer replies, "He wouldn't know." Then a new alarm begins to sound from the processor. The ion matrix exceeded critical limits before they finished repairs. The only thing they could do now was vent the bay into space and everything in it. Uhura points out that they were in there as well. Unfortunately, that is also true. Hemmer agrees. I really liked this specifically because I, I kind of was wondering that the first time I yeah. I saw him. It's like, yeah. well, why would he join Starfleet, you know? But I, you know, we kind of saw that in Enterprise too, right? With that, the woman that was helping uh, mm-hmm. Tucker. She's like, you don't have to like fight. You can still be neutral, but also like, you know, it's a peaceful thing. You're trying to help and join societies. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of cool to see that. But again, um, another like thing that like they have to explain to the audience when he says, uh, yeah, we're going to have to vent cargo bay into space and she's like but we're in here <laughs> <It's> like, yes <laughs> yes we are <laughs> yes we are i'm not going to mention at this point that we have eva suits in here no and i don't think we the two of us together could move that wooden pallet that's in front of the door <laughs> absolutely not impossible impossible <laughs> say goodbye to your loved ones now on the bridge, Pike listens as Hemmer reports that the AP-350 would explode within 20 minutes, maybe less. Spock uh, and Lon return from their mission and assume their stations. Just then, the ship shakes violently, and Ortega reports it was caused by the black hole. The brown dwarf was dissolving too fast, and if they did not escape, they would be caught with it. But any effort at escape would bring the last Gorn ship right on top of them. 
Ortega's comments on how Space wanted them dead, which gives Pike an idea. What if they let Space win? He asked Spock if it was possible to use the black hole's gravity to slingshot their way to safety. And Spock concurs that it was mathematically possible, but points out that the Gorn would see them and pursue them. Pike thinks that a maybe, and has Spock explain about gravitational redshift, an optical illusion caused by an object falling into the black hole, into a black hole. And the object falls faster than the frequency of light it emits, essentially making the object appear to stop just outside the black hole. Pike has one last question. What do snakes, ducks, and opossums have in common? Juan answers that when hunted, they play dead. Pike orders Ortegas to plot a course close to the black hole's event horizon and asks Hemmer if he and Uhura had access to EV suits. Hemmer confirms they do though hesitates to ask why. Blonde sees the plan. Pike wanted to slingshot the ship off the black hole and use the AP-350 to decoy the uh, Gorn. Spock reminds his captain that the plan involved flying close to one of the most turbulent phenomena in space, and Ortegas adds that the hull was already compromised. Pike is confident that the ship will hold, and Lon, thinking back to our prior discussion with Pike, agrees. The captain is also confident that if anyone could surf a wave on a black hole, it would be Ortegas, who replies that he almost made it sound fun. He orders Hemmer and Uhura to suit up and strap in. They would vent the cargo bay on his signal. I like that scene where they like show Uhura and Hammer in the cargo bay, and he's oh, just yeah. like, he's like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> like he's just like so like his arm is just his hand is just shattered. And he's just looking at it and he's like, no, I don't, that's not, I don't think that's going to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Here's something I noticed as a prop guy. Okay. The EV suit has to be like form fitting to the head, you know? Oh, yeah. The helmet has to. So they very clearly like took his antennas like off. Right. Like makeup to like fit that thing on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. thought that was funny. I was it just, is like, funny. He clearly doesn't have antennas anymore. No, no, <laughs> it's no. Just like flat. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> they should have, you know, they should have like put like the little tips or something yeah. like that, like on his forehead or something. Yeah, I agree. They were just like, nah, put this thing over his brain. Nah, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Even if they like cut like two holes and just stuck the antenna through, like mm-hmm. the top thing, and then like his helmet would like flatten him. Yeah, crush him. Just like in his eyes, <laughs> <laughs> I can't see. It was just very That's funny. Okay. I, I That's okay. On that. Doesn't matter if they're in his eyes; he's blind. Wow, it's true. I mean, it's just the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. In the cargo bay, Hemmer commits the AP three fifty to the cosmos, while Uhura holds the strap that will secure them. With a shaking hand, he grasps her arm with his good hand and commends her. She has managed to impress him, after all, and he would give her high marks on the assessment. Uhura thanks him, assuming that it would still matter. Hemmer notes how humans worried so much about death, while the Anar believe the end only comes when they have fulfilled their purpose. Uhura asks what his purpose was, and he replies simply to fix what is broken. 
Ohura thinks he could add teaching, maybe being inspiring to that as well, earning a chuckle from the chief engineer. He asks what she felt the purpose of her life's path was. Ohura admits she doesn't know, asking if that meant she wouldn't die. Hemmer's answer was that there was only one way to find out as they secure themselves to the deck. I like the clip, the clips on the yeah the floor and that was cool obviously that's for cargo but yeah <laughs> but um yeah i don't know what kind of cargo you'd you'd put on that if it can't hold two people <laughs> no <laughs> nothing i think maybe what it was supposed to indicate even though it was kind of weird i think it was supposed to indicate that the the like the suck of the black hole was yeah. how it was like really ripping things out yeah, you're really not supposed to have like the entire cargo bay open in space. <laughs> right, right. Especially in a black, a black hole. hole. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's Maybe true. that's not what's supposed to happen. That's true. Yeah, you're right. You know what? The other thing, too, is I, I didn't mention is it's funny. It's interesting that like I'm not used to like crew members dying so rapidly. Oh. Because like you go through, it's not even until like season three of Enterprise where like you lose like two people. Yeah. Well, you lose the leaf, man. You lose him pretty quick. In an episode called Strange New World. <laughs> Remember? Oh. They beam him up and it's like, oh, the transporter didn't work and he has leaves and rocks and sticks in his body. Oh, yeah. That's but, right. Yeah. So that's one. Yeah. Yeah. The other crew member was uh, the temporal agent. Yeah. So that doesn't count. Nope. Well, then, yeah, it wasn't until like later on that. Oh, yeah. Like till the Zindi stuff where they started losing people. Like pockets and pockets of people. Yeah. But this is like, like always one, one or two, like maybe scattered throughout the first two seasons. Yeah. But then all of a sudden it was like, oh, no, everyone's dying. But Archer was very like prideful in the fact that like he, he kept his crew alive. Yeah. But in this, it's like seven people immediately. <laughs> Yeah, up in those in that explosion that initial thing, yeah. But he didn't get worried until Hammer and Ohura were almost dead. <laughs> True, yeah. Please. He doesn't <laughs> care about transporter chief Kyle. Nope. As long as you're part of his bridge team. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Zuniga reports the inertial dampeners were at maximum and calls to brace for heavy gravity. Ortegas half-jokingly says if they pulled it off, it would officially be called the Pike Maneuver. Pike orders a shipwide channel. As he addresses the crew, Chapel and the sickbay techs set up force fields to contain the injured crew, while Hemmer and Uhura take up their helmets and prepare for the maneuver. Pike reminds them of what was said earlier about the cost of exploration and believes that there will always be something to challenge them, but they would not back down nor given to fear. He is confident that this would not be their last mission, but their finest hour, and calls for the crew to brace for impact. The Gorn ship changes course as the Enterprise approaches the accretion disk of the black hole. As the ship rides the wave, Pike gives the order to vent the cargo bay, weighed down by the increased gravity. Spock strains to reach the controls, but manages to do so. In the cargo bay, Hemmer and Uhura lifted up so violently that the plate securing Uhura to the deck begins to tear up. Hemmer grabs Uhura's arm, and they hold on for dear life. Outside the reach of the black hole's gravity, 
The Gorn detect the explosion of the AP-350. Thinking it to be the Enterprise, they fall back. A moment later, the Enterprise slingshots free of the black hole's gravity, battered and singed, but intact. Yep. So, the thing that made me laugh in this uh, thing was it's a thing that made me think about what you said at least you probably said it a couple times during each episode is like Pike kind of knows he's not going to die from a black hole so yeah. it's like he kind of puts himself in this situation where it's like well it's fine yeah. like, I, this isn't where I'm going to die and everybody's like that's terrible why are we getting closer to it he's like it's fine it'll be fine I love it <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is um and he knows like the Enterprise will hold, right? Right, exactly. Like, right. Yeah, it'll hold. I don't die here. Is it also the other thing too, right? Like, I don't think that's gonna work. Like, just do it. It's fine. Just that's do it. <laughs> just use the saucer part as a surfboard. It'll be fine. Yeah. Doesn't matter. And the thing other so, thing that made me laugh, yeah. And I think it was I don't know. I don't know if it's just like they they quickly were like, Okay, we gotta do this quick and wrap up this episode or Nobody yeah. thought about it, but it was like I, explosion, and it was cool, and it wrapped around. And it was cool, and then the Gorn yeah. were like, mm, "That's I'm sad," and they flew away. And then Elson was like, "Enterprise," and it's like, can't the Gorn just? Don't they have like sensors that are like, "Oh, it wasn't the Enterprise, Captain. They're right here. They just came out of the thing." No, no, <laughs> no. That's exact. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. Is that oh. like? <laughs> yeah, they came out of they came out of the black hole and like immediately went to like full power. Yeah, and I was like, you would show up on the radar then. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, the Gorn. Like, maybe they hit. Maybe they immediately went to warp. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the Gorn were like, it blew up. Like, <laughs> turn off oh, all sensors. We're gonna be so hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Just left. What a bunch of jerks. A bunch of idiots. <laughs> maybe you know what maybe what happened was we can play it this way. They go to warp, and as they're going to warp, one of the officers on the Gorn Bridge is like, Captain, somebody, and he goes, How and he shoots him and kills him, right? Right? Because they call the weak. You don't speak back to the captain. Murdered. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to. <laughs> I think I like the Gorn ship a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Where's do can they we stay with the Gorn ship? Do they ever use the Pike maneuver ever again? That you off the top of your head, <laughs> like not in the show, but like in general, like in any time and space. No, <laughs> okay, good, <laughs> cool, <laughs> yeah. Maybe some other time in Strange New Worlds they might use it. Oh, definitely. Then, yeah. If but, they named it, they're definitely going to use it. But, uh, no. <laughs> Isn't this how they save um, Matt Damon on Mars, too? All I remember was the Matt Damon thing was they were, like, extending a thing, and then he said he was going to Iron Man it and cut his suit and fly. That's all I remember, so. No, they... They were they were headed back to Earth, and I think they used the moon or Earth's gravitational pull to like slingshot around the planet and then shoot back to Mars to go okay. get him. Okay, I just don't remember. I don't know. Anytime I think of a black hole, I just think of Interstellar. It wasn't a black hole, but yeah, they they slingshot around the planet using like gravitational. Oh, okay. I just don't remember. I haven't seen The Martian in a long time. Well, you should. That's true. 
because it's good. As the lights come back up, Pike asks for a report. Lon reports no sign of the Gorn ship. He then asks to see the main cargo bay, which only comes which only comes up with static. He hails them, anxiously waiting to hear from Hemmer or Uhura. After a long moment of silence, Pike concludes both are dead and is about to order Lon to send a recovery team when Uhura's voice finally comes up, reporting that they were both all right, much to the relief of the of the captain and the bridge crew. Even Spock smiles a little to himself as he looks back to his console. Lon, however, looks grim. As Pike approaches her, thinking that was quite a miracle, Lon wonders about next time, knowing the Gorn had never come that far inside Federation space before. Pike is confident that next time they would not be caught by surprise. Yeah. So the thing that makes me, the two things that happened in this made me laugh was, he's like, Hemmer! Hemmer, are you there? Hemmer? Hemmer, are you there? Yeah. Ohura, are you there? And I was just like, Hmm, that's a little telling. <laughs> like, <laughs> I only, I really care about Emmer. And the other yeah, thing right. that made, 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 always makes me laugh, and it's the same thing you talked about with like other TV tropes and things of that nature, is um, the thing where they're like, come in, come in. Hey, Mitch, can you can you read me, Mitch? Mitch, come in. They're like, oh, Mitch is dead. He's dead. And he's like, yeah, I, I hear you. Sorry, it's I was like, eating a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, like what are what are these people doing? Like, why do they wait? Like, yeah. I always want to see. It's like, can you cut to the other people and show us what the, what's happening while they're not? Why are they not responding? Sometimes they do. It's always for tension. Sometimes they do. It's always to build tension. Yeah, it just makes me laugh. Because you think about it right now, like they're not injured. They weren't like dead. So right now, if you and I were like, we had just survived. We had slammed back to the ground. Which yeah. was again minutes ago because the thing has been closed, and I would have been like, "Hey, man, are you okay?" And you're like, "Yeah, I'm okay." And then you would have been like, "This is Captain Pike to the thing. Are you alive?" You'd be like, "Beep, yeah, we're alive." You wouldn't be like, like I, "I wouldn't be like, hey, Caleb, are you okay?" And you'd be like, "Yeah, my arm really hurts." I'd be like, "Wow, that sounds really." And you're hearing Pike hey, like talk to when, you. <laughs> when the captain calls, let's pretend, let's pretend that we didn't make it. <laughs> right right like, i mean so honestly like they could have had the wind knocked out of them from hitting the ground <laughs> good. sure um and also i always assume that like communications always like suffers from just like the pressure like the yeah because they showed like the camera was all staticky like the um like it damaged the systems yeah. in there but she comes in loud and clear so yeah she's fine i don't know it just was funny it is funny. It is funny when they do that specifically. Okay, we're finishing up. It says in sick bay, Una regains consciousness, finding herself connected to, intravenously to Umbenga. So there we go. The doctor had given her his blood so that she could live. In her quarters, Lon puts on the pin commemorating the Puget Sound and joins Pike, who is honoring his seven lost crewmen, their caskets draped with the flag of the Federation. Personal log, stardate 3177.9. Today, the Enterprise encountered the Gorn. Seven of the crew gave their lives. But we survived. 
Message redacted. <laughs> and delete. And delete. Computer delete log. <laughs> <laughs> we can't have anyone know that the Gorn exists. No, I can't have anything about the Gorn be out there. <laughs> so I really could... like I really like those the flags. Yeah. Those would be that would make like a sweet like blanket, you know. Mm, yeah. So that concludes our discussion and review of Memento Mori. So we get into the best part that everyone likes. Caleb. 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 So Caleb. Yeah. Who gets the Elizabeth Cutler Award for being most forgettable? Kirk. <laughs> was he i mean honestly was he like a guest appearance for like the first two episodes and then like he went off to do something else or what yeah he's just he's constantly somewhere else doing something on the ship just not anywhere well he's he's what an alien uh he's a xeno anthropologist well then he wouldn't be here for this no that's you know they wouldn't have taken him. They wouldn't have asked him any questions about the Gorn either. What is the what is yeah? What a stupid department to put him in, and then have him not show up the first time they encounter like an unknown species. Yeah. Hey, can you get Kirk to the bridge? We want to know more about the Gorn because Lon's like just mm-hmm. talking through trauma. He's like, hey, no. I think this is yeah. No, his mustache has a severe <laughs> laceration. Um, Captain, I'm still. My mustache hasn't grown in from when I got shocked by the egg. So I can't make it. I'm sorry. I can't do that. It's going to be a no for me, Captain. Yeah. We just have to assume that when he gets blown up, he was somewhere around and is hurt and he's laying in sick bay. That's what we can do. Yeah. So my my runner up. Yeah. Yeah. Your runner up. Yeah. Would be Una. Yeah. She's there in the beginning, and she gets like hurt, and then she's just in the on the operating table the rest of the show. Yeah, she got it in the first episode too. Remember, because it was like she's in the prison, and then then she's back on the bridge. Yeah. Well, she's supposed to be a main character, and a lot of times she spends she spends it in the background, you know. So that's who gets that's who gets the Elizabeth Cutler Award. So who gets the Trip Tucker Award as being the MVP? I'll give it to Lon. Okay. Her and Spock doing the mind meld, um, and getting those like SOS, like the uh, yeah, the actual, the like communication thing. thing. I mean, that's pretty much yeah, pretty much saved the day, you know. Yeah, yeah, and also her just like telling Pike constantly that like the Gorn don't stop, and him use, think, using that as as like a defense tactic. Yeah. So yeah, cool. I agree. Yeah, to me, it would be between Pike and her. So, yeah, I like Lon is a good choice. Okay, this is a good one for it. So what gets the Shran Award? What had the best action sequence? Honestly, it's probably the black hole. Okay. Like when... Surf around the thing. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, that's probably the most action... Yeah. In the episode, I don't remember... I like it. <laughs> I like the initial when the Gorn show up initially and they're shooting the ship immediately and yeah, trying to evacuate, you know? Mm-hmm. 
that's all pretty good too. But you like the black hole one better? Yeah, I like the black hole more. So what gets the NX award is some really sweet ship stuff. Well, one takeaway that I remember mm-hmm. is it's like I was thinking about the actors and stuff. Okay. Uh, when the bridge is on red alert and and it's like critically damaged and then just like everything is just like boop, 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 boop. Like all this like displays are just flashing white light constantly. Yeah. I was just thinking about like how the actors have to just like sit there and just like <laughs> stare at the light going on and off. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it was specifically the one where they're on the bridge, and like Spock's section is fine. Oh, the lights are fine. I mean, the red the red alert is still going on, but like all his monitors are fine. Yeah, and I think I think Lon is next to him. Okay, and her stuff is just going like <laughs> like sparks <laughs> and stuff. I was like, oh my god. I couldn't sit through that. But yeah, so I'll give the award to like, I love anytime the ship goes on red alert. Okay. Because I just love the way the deck is all, it's all the LEDs are lit up. Everything's yeah, red. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's that red alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't remember when they were at, they were at yellow in the beginning. Yeah. So yellow was like shields up. Yeah. I don't remember there being lights on the bridge then. Yeah, yellow alert is is I don't think they changed the color. Yellow alert is basically just supposed to be like shields up, we're on the defense. We're kind of like yeah. we're wary or, or we're cautious about things. And then red alert is like, no, we're fully engaged, everybody yeah. in battle stations. Like if you're doing something that you don't need to be doing, like stop and go either report to some place. If you're like basically if you're eating lunch, go back to work. And it's like if you're yeah. in an area that could be affected, like evacuate that area. Like red alert is like we're about to shoot or we're about to get shot. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I like that. I like seeing the bridge all lit up. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. So what gets the Porthos award as being the cheesiest? <laughs> I'll stick with that scene in the beginning with like the dog. Oh, the dog jump scare <laughs> yelling. Then, yeah, and then that whole thing, like I said, like you'd be on a like covert mission, then you're gonna like yell to everybody as loud as you can about danger. Yeah, I hate that stuff. <laughs> so, what gets the Enterprise Award? What was the best scene of the show that you enjoyed? The best scene of the show, I really like the beginning. I really love that intro shot where they realize that the uh, Gorn are using a um, a decoy, uh, not a decoy, but a, um, that was a hologram. hologram. And and Lon's looking out the window and she says oh, it's the yeah. Gorn and they blow up the ship that's connected to the thing and it's like critical damage immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, to me, it just like, it's a great intro. Yeah. It's a cool scene and it sets the pace for the entire episode. It's it's now now the Enterprise is like fighting for their lives at that point. Yeah. It's great. I love that. Absolutely. And also that the shot of her like looking out the window is very like that's cool. Yeah, I agree. Please write in the comments below what you thought of the episode. Let us know if you thought Ortegas was annoying, if you thought Lalan's trauma was played well, if you like Spock and Pike and Mbenga as much as we do, and Una.
let us know what you think down there. And, uh, you know, if you, if there's a chance that if you leave a comment that we may look at it next week and talk about it. So yes. put it down below. As to next week, when we come back, we'll be covering episode five of Strange New Worlds, the episode entitled Spock Amok. <laughs> nice. Which will be a fun episode. Is it a good one? It's 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 different. I don't want to say too much. It's different. So hmm. I don't want to tip my hat too much and make you say I always I, I, I find with people in general, not just like you, just anybody. If I say anything like like um, you say to somebody like, yeah, it's a really good episode. Then yeah. People go forth and they watch it and they're like, yeah. And they're like, yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah. That way, too. You can be like, yeah, he's stupid. But I always find that, like, if you say to somebody like, you know, that this character is really stupid in the episode, then the whole time that character does something, they're like, yeah, so stupid. And I'd rather the person just watch it and have their actual not be yeah. messed with. So maybe that's why I didn't like Ortega in this episode so much. Probably. Last I mean, week you were like, yeah, I don't really like her. I don't really like her going forward either. And I was like, oh. And then this episode, like every every yes. time she said something, I was yeah. like, I hate this person. <laughs> <laughs> Will it's and I don't human, like it's this. It's human person. nature. It's human but nature. Usually, like if you, <laughs> if I watched a movie and you said and you said to me like, yeah, this actor who plays this guy. I don't like mm-hmm. him. He's stupid. And then I go watch the movie. I'd be like, no, oh, yeah, he's he so is right. stupid. He is stupid. That's well, what that's we what's going to happen when you finally watch, like, when you finally watch Mandalorian, you're going to be like, this sucks. <laughs> 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 that's the other extreme that happens sometimes is like your friend will tell you like, oh, man, I just, you know, I want to go see Dial oh. of Destiny. And it's like the best. It's like the best Indiana Jones movie, right? And you go see it and you're like, I got to get new friends. Is this... <laughs> As the biggest pile of trash. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And that you know, by the time this up, by the time you're this episode comes out, we have already seen Dial of Destiny. That's true. And it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I think that might be the thing. Uh, there might be on over on your channel, maybe around soon around this, probably. Our review of Dial of Destiny will either be on his channel or soon to come out. So yeah, keep an eye. Yeah, out. If, if we're gonna go see it Friday night, so I will probably have it out. I usually like to do those like after the weekend, so everybody has yeah. a chance to like see it. So probably so. tomorrow. If you're watching this on on Sunday, then probably yeah, yeah. I'll look it. for it tomorrow or Tuesday. Yeah, and so also on his his channel which will be also soon but it'll be a couple weeks from now is our continuation of dragon ball oh yeah we're going to be doing that and so he he usually puts it out towards the middle of the month but we will be covering more episodes soon i'm going to keep shooting for the 19th okay i like it if you like the video like it if you dislike it dislike it (laughs) if you want to see more if you want to see more of this content subscribe and if you don't want to miss an episode ring that bell for notifications as you probably saw um there has been a new star trek rpg video up on the channel called breadcrumbs and brain cells Mm -hmm. so 
We appreciate you watching. Check out Caleb's channel as always. He's always yeah. got something going on over there. If you're watching this video today, then three days ago on my channel, I released a Star Trek video. The prop, Star Trek prop. There you go. And it's a good one. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so give him a watch, give him a like, give him a subscribe. Okay, so we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. Bye. The Retrek Review is a VN non-capta podcast produced in association with the Plastic Underground Props, hosted by Caleb Stoddard and Will Wilbur, edited by Will Wilbur. Our intro song is by Kaylee Joy Rookledge. Our theme song is by Samo Studios. And our outro song is by Tommy T. Title art card created by Caleb Stoddard. Trophy art created by Adri Wilbur of Love by the Letters. Synopsis and written plot provided by MemoryAlpha.com. Star Trek is created by Gene Roddenberry, and all official clips and pictures are owned by Paramount Pictures. You can follow us at The Plastic Underground Props and at ViaNonCapta on Instagram and YouTube. Until next time, Trekkies and Trekkers.